This morning, the element of the table is, or the invitation, is the RSVP. I don't know what that stands for. I think it might be French. Is it? What does it stand for, Scott? Oh, re, ring, s'il vous plaît. Ring. Scott knows some French. Um, and I think what that means is please respond. Please respond. And the question for us this morning is um, how will we respond to God's invitation to life with Him? How will we respond? Uh, years ago, uh, we were having a conversation with our children's ministry team, and I think it was somebody, I give Patty Winslow credit for this comment, but she said, she said, when I think about home growing up, when I think about my home, I always think about the table. And so the table is like home. And that, always, that has stuck with me since she said that. Her, the table is home. The table is the place where we gather. Uh, the table is the place, obviously, where we eat. The table is the place where we look each other in the eye and recognize uh, our brother and sisterness. Um, over the course of this seven weeks, for me personally, um, I... I've experienced uh, just sort of like the, the renewal and the passion for pursuing relationships with people around the table. And if you read the Gospel of Luke, um, the thing that Jesus is criticized for more than any other thing, five times I found in my reading of Luke last night, five times Jesus is accused of sitting at the table with people who the religious elite didn't consider worthy of his presence. Their accusation of him was that he is a guest of sinners. He was invited into people like Zacchaeus' home, a, a tax collector, someone who worked for the enemy, and Jesus went to his home. And they said, he's a guest of sinners, they said of him, he, he's a drunkard and a glutton. It's like, here, we're trying to teach people about God, and all he's doing is sitting at tables, having meals and eating with people. What is he teaching them about God? They said, uh, you know, over and over and over is the reprise. That here is someone who sits with sinners. And I think it's fascinating that God takes on flesh and blood. He, he takes on humanity. And the thing that makes people so angry is who he spends time with. Where he invests himself. And the big question this morning for me was just, why? Why does, why does God come and give himself to people who, who are outside of sort of the, the religious structure? Why does he come and, why does he do that? Why does he do that? 
So that's, that's the question we want to even try to tackle this morning. Uh, in your Bible, if you turn to Luke 14, starting at verse 15, um, we read that Jesus is in a, in a dialogue with some people uh, at the table. He's just instructed them, hey, when you get to a banquet, don't take the, the place uh, of honor because there's the possibility that the guests might have to move you and then you won't be in the place of honor. When you go to a party, go to the place um, like at the bottom because the only place you can move up at that point, uh, the only place you can move is up. So go take the humble spot. Go take the lowly place. And then, you know, there's the possibility that your, your host will see that and be like, no, 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 you need to move up here. And then you'll be honored, right? So he's giving them instructions about how to sit around the table, how to be present with others. Don't take the honored place. Take, take the low place, right? And in the midst of that dialogue, um, a guest, somebody else there, um, offers this blessing, okay? And in 14 verse 15, here's what that person says. When one of those at the table with him heard this, heard that Jesus was giving instructions on the table, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Boom. Loaded words there. Okay? Now, first century, there's a dialogue happening that um, if we just read this without doing any sort of investigation, we, we won't come upon it. We don't know what they're talking about. But there's a dialogue happening about what does it look like at the end of all things? What does it look like when God comes back? What does it look like when Messiah comes? And uh, what the rabbis agreed on is that it, what it looks like is a feast. Now, some of their teaching comes from a, a text in Isaiah 25. So if you go in your Bible to Isaiah 25, verse 6, it says this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he'll destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. So in the end, what they said was there would be a massive banquet there was dialogue amongst the rabbis. Who, who would be able to give this toast at the banquet? Would it be Moses, uh, sort of the resurrection? Would he come back and, and give a toast? And they said, no, it, could, it shouldn't be Moses. It can't be Moses. He never actually entered the promised land. They said, well, maybe it will be Adam. Who, who is it that will be? And they, they agreed that the one who would give the toast would be a son of David, the messianic figure. In our case, we would say that would be Christ. He would be the one to offer at this banquet, at the end of all things, when God hosts this feast, the Messiah will offer the toast. And if you think about the Lord's table, what I think is fascinating is, um, and I think it's Luke uh, 22 or 23, when, when we see the Lord's Supper, this is exactly what Jesus does. He takes the bread and the juice and he gives thanks to God. He blesses God. And so I think that's fascinating. Jesus is the host of this banquet. So when the man comments, uh, the person sitting at the table, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, he's a part of this, this dialogue that's happening in this culture. 
okay? And God was seen as the one who was going to host the nations at the table. Verse 16, Jesus in response replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, and we can assume that certain man is God himself, and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Come, the banquet's ready. Uh, In those days, when you were preparing a great feast, the preparations took time. You had to, like, kill your own food, right? Um, So that's not just, like, something... You don't just run to the freezer a minute and pull out the hamburgers and, like, throw them on the grill. Or hot dogs, if you're hot dog people. Uh, You don't just, you know, run to the freezer. There's a process to creating this much food for this many people. And so you would send out an initial um, invitation and let people know, hey... You know, um, so-and-so is having this great feast and you're invited. And the response would almost always be, um, because that person is sort of at the same class as you, of course you're going to make it. You're going to make arrangements. You've been prepared ahead of time. And you're going to put it on your calendar. And when they come back to tell you that, hey, it's game on, you drop it and you go. That's the appropriate response. That's the expected response at a massive banquet like this. Okay, so um, the key to this section, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, and he says, come for everything is ready. The feast is ready. Now, here's what this means, I think, theologically. Jesus is is teaching that the kingdom is, is ready. The kingdom is present. The kingdom is here. It's now. Over and over in the text, he gets after people for like looking too far ahead and like anticipating when God will come again and says, no, 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 like the kingdom doesn't come with all your fancy religious observation because it's already here. God in his fullness is already revealing himself to you if you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. God in his goodness and his mercy and his comfort and his love is already present. The table is all ready here. The Isaiah 25, when God hosts this this feast, Jesus is saying, in my presence, the feast is here. In Revelation, there's this really cool text where um, it says, if, um, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You, You remember this? Revelation 320, behold, Jesus is, is speaking to the church. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and responds, I will come in and I will, this is fascinating, I will come and eat with them. He doesn't say I will come and like rescue them and get them out. He, he draws on this, this picture of the table and says, if anyone responds to me, it's like I'm going to come and sit with them. And we're going to eat together. And they will be with me. And I will be with them. So what? Well, again, Jesus says everything is ready. The banquet is ready. And my question is just like, are you there? Are you down? He's knocking. Is the door open? You know, is... is 
your posture one of invitation. God, we invite your presence. I'm willing to, to hear. Come on in. Or, or are, are, are we resistant? Are we resistant to, to God's wanting to enter, to God's invitation? The invitation's been sent out. RSVP, how will you respond? How are you right now responding? Is it yes, God, I want more of you. I want more of your presence. Is it like the people in the following verses? Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. Remember, they've already been warned. They've already been told, hey, the feast is coming. Just be ready. When we send the servant to to let you know again, make sure you're ready to come. And, and so all the people that are sort of like, that they know about the feast already, begin to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married so I can't come. Excuses, right? They knew about the banquet. It wasn't a surprise, They knew about this amazing feast. It didn't just sneak up on them. And they were told, prepare for it. Get ready for it. And and when the servant comes back and says, game on. The feast is here. The table's been set. The animal's been slaughtered. We got some great tunes. You know, where the dance parties, we're, we're ready. Excuses. And and. And we're not really sure why. The assumption that we have to make is that they just valued, they valued these other things more than the banquet. They valued the work more. Or they felt like the work couldn't carry on without them. They, they felt like, you know, my, my responsibility is just too important. It's too important for me to go and to be with God or to go and celebrate this feast. Whatever the case, my heart like breaks for these folks. I'm broken because I see them all the time. I see these people every single day. People who, who we walk around and we're burdened and we're worried and we're concerned and we walk around heavy hearted and we walk around uncertain and all along God's like, just come, just come. Just come sit with me. And we try to stir it up on our own. You know, we try, if I study harder, if I work more, if I have a better plan, if I'm more successful, then, then there will be rest for my soul. Then I'll be able to sit in God's presence. I know this. I, I come from a family who we value work above all else. I shared in the first service, my, my mantra growing up, my parents' mantra was, my dad's really, work, work, work. Busy, busy, busy. I've shared that with you before. I get it. But that's the thing with, with, that's the thing with God. You, no amount of, of effort can earn his presence. No amount of, of effort can get us closer. Grace is sort of opposed to striving. But grace is very, very open for those who are available, for those who are are willing to, to come. And so we read on. Verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 21. 
The servant came back and reported this to the master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And this is what the, the book of Luke is, is all about. Luke over and over just says, listen, like this is the kingdom of God. Here are the folks. Here are the people that seem to respond to the kingdom. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. There's still room. So this, this, this group of people respond, but there's still room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. The word for make them is not like put a gun to their head and demand. The word is more like convince them. Because these people, uh, the master knows, they're, they're not going to believe that the offer is for real. They're going to be like, what in the world does this wealthy landowner who has everything and is thrown, what in the world would he be doing seeking us out? I see these people all the time as well. No, it can't, that, that whole thing, that whole God thing, that's not for me. I gave that a try. I gave that a try once. That's not for me. Or, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've seen. You don't know what's happened to me. I, I can't. I can't. It's not for me. He can't be that good. There's beef between me and him, the master of the house, the, the host of the banquet. I can't come as I am. <laughs> the book of Luke goes to great lengths to show that the Spirit of God always finds those low places, those places when we feel like we're undeserving, that we're unworthy, that we can't be at the table because of our failure. Because, you know, things didn't turn out like I thought they would. I thought it was going this way with my life, and then just like the wheels kind of fell off, and my kids went that way, and my grandkids are going this way. And, you know, I just, I feel like a failure. I feel like I've, I've let God down. There's never a hint of that. There's never a hint of that in any of the gospel, that God is a host who's let down by those who come to the table. All you see is incredible invitation and invitation into his presence. And people either come and accept and receive it as they are, not as they wish they were, not as they hoped they'd be, not as they like say, well, maybe someday then if I'm a da-da-da-da-da. No, no, no. There's radical invitation for those right now as they are to come and to experience that presence, to come and enjoy that feast, the table that's been set. Um, this idea they, of making people come, convincing them, is really important in our culture. I love the, um, the work that Paul Verhoof is doing and because a lot of people, uh, there's a sense of, of skepticism around, around the, the Christian story, around a God who is loved because people haven't experienced that from Christians. And so the, the, the messengers who've come and said, hey, there's this banquet and you're invited and God's love and presence is real and good and all you gotta do is come just as you are, just come and let him lead you and let him guide you. And people are like, nah, 
I'm not sure I think any of that's like real, right? And so there's this level of skepticism. I've been reading a book about, um, um, it's called Dreams and Visions, and it's about the, the Muslim Arabic world and the 1040 window and how people are having dreams. A quarter of all Muslims who come to Christ come to Christ because they had a dream about Jesus who said, come, just come. And they have to ask a Christian, like, What's the, what is this about? Why is the prophet, this prophet Jesus, coming to visit me? And, and the, the Christians who are sort of coaching these Muslims will say, well, you need, to, you need to ask him, you need to pray and ask him, what is he inviting you into? And one of the things that those Muslims um, that come to Christ experience, the reason they stay is because they say, when he comes in the dream, I experience a presence the presence of unconditional love that I can't ignore, that I can't deny. There's an unconditional acceptance of me as I am. There's a, a, an experience that I have, a, a, a sense that I have that just as I am, I'm loved. And, and it's like it washes everything away. This week I was sitting at a table talking to a young man um, who had had a similar experience through a dream of just feeling unconditionally accepted, unconditionally loved. And he and I prayed together, and I said, that's not, that's not supposed to be um, the exception. That's the rule for, for Christian living. That's the rule, is to live in that place of, of love, to live out of that acceptance, that invitation to sit around the table. And so... Um, you know, the servant is instructed, make them come to the table. Convince them that it's real, that it's good. Convince them that there's no ulterior motive. Convince them that I'm not trying to just use them for some, you know, propaganda or to boost up my own ego. Convince them that the offer is really there. Because the thing with the people um, on the fringe is they really, and the, the master knows this, they don't have anything to offer there's no reciprocity. They can't reciprocate the gift and say, hey, well, you should come over to my amazing pad where I have this huge table with tons of food that we're going to do. There's, it's not reciprocal. The invitation is just to come and experience the goodness of God. When I was reading this, um, I've been kind of stressed out the last little bit, and yesterday was just trying to kind of rest. Julie... My wife gave, was just like, just go figure it out. Like, go do your thing or whatever. So I went in our room. <clears throat> and, like, when I'm feeling that, I need to, like, I go to God, right? And I go to him. And so I was playing my guitar. And the kids ran away because it sounds like a, a beached whale giving birth when I start singing. And it's not pretty. But, um, you know, the Lord looks at the heart. So stop judging me. And... Um, and I'm just, I'm praying and, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm anxious a little bit about um, just this next step. Like, I, I, I sense God inviting me into his presence, but I don't know what that looks like. Um, tomorrow I go on sabbatical for 12 weeks, which is an amazing gift that this community gave me that I have no idea exactly how to receive um, this community has it sort of set up in our policies, but also then just like Scott has really been encouraging me and the elders are like, you need to do this. And um, people have just come and gifted us with like awesome opportunities. 
and I don't know how to receive that. And so I'm kind of feeling like, God, what are you, what are you doing in this? And I feel this knot. And so I'm praying last night or yesterday afternoon, just like singing and like, God, what are you doing? And I sense this, um, just like in this text, you know, where it says, um, make them come in. Like I, I have that picture of Psalm 23. And the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. And then um, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. And I remembered a conversation that I had with somebody last week who's in a place where, where he's isolated from his normal routine and he has to be in this spot that he's in right now of lying down. He has to be there. And he and I talked and we figured out, I said, when did you get here and when are you leaving? And that time is exactly, you want to guess how many days? 40 days, exactly. And any time God is going to do a work in somebody's life, there's a period of separation where he pulls them aside when he's preparing them. And this brother is pulled aside and basically out of his routine and rhythm for 40 days because of this physical thing that, that happened to him. And I said, dude, like, don't trifle with the 40-day set aside, the 40-day timeout. Like, God wants to say something to you. He wants to love you and bless you. Like, open your ears and your eyes as wide as you possibly can. And, and in, that, um, in that time of, of kind of worship, I had an image that I want to share with you because it's important to me, but because I think it's what God is inviting all of us to. And the image that he gave me was of, of, of Jesus at a doorway. And the door was like just light. It just was light. And I couldn't see what was inside because it was just light pouring out of this door. And Jesus was at the door playfully, kind of like, this is sabbatical, dude. But it's not just sabbatical. This is life. Come as you are. Come as you are into my presence. Come as you are and find rest for your soul. Because my burden is easy. My yoke is light. So let me take it off you and enter come as you are it's the table it's ready the kingdom is here my presence is for real and so this next step in my journey is um, 12 weeks of just trying to enter that presence more and more um, and so there's some plans in place that may or may not happen, and I'm open to whatever God is going to do in that. After the first service, somebody came up and said, you know, we're in our 60s, and God is inviting us to step through a door right now. And we're deeply challenged by it. But we just, we just trust him. We just know that he's good. We know that his love for us is real. It's sure. And so we're not afraid. And so wherever you are this morning, 
God says, come. Rest in my love for you. Rest in my presence. Rest in, in, in all that I will do certainly through you, but all that I have brought you through already. Come and rest. Jesus hosts on the night that he's betrayed. He hosts his friends at this table, this place of memory, this place of transformation. And he hosts his buds. And he says, um, this is my body. This is my body, which is broken for you. And, and he takes it and breaks it and says, you continue to do this. You continue to break bread. You continue to gather around tables and celebrate my presence until I come again. Do this in remembrance of me. I want to invite the elders forward. This morning we have a cool opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we're going to do it in the way where we have a common cup. And so you'll come and you'll break off a piece of bread and our elders will speak a blessing to you. And then you'll take it and eat it and remember and believe that as sure as you have your 10,000 taste buds experiencing the goodness of the sweet juice and the good Panera bread, as certainly as your 10,000 taste buds are coming alive, God and his presence are bringing you to life every day. So come. Come.